Welcome to the One Stop Shop Podcast. One Stop Shop is Receiptful's weekly podcast with the goal of helping ambitious e-commerce merchants learn from the best. Each episode will have a successful business person tell us their story from their humble beginnings to their triumphs and successes of where they are today. Today we interview James, co-founder of Fixed, a record label and e-commerce store. We cover topics like upsells, cross-sells, staying true to the essence of your craft, and getting creative within your industry. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the One Stop Shop podcast. I'm Aliana. I have on the line with me my amazing co-host, Jeff. How are you? (laughs) I'm feeling amazing, thanks. (laughs) Today our guest is James Roda. He is the co-founder of Fixed, which is an independent media company with many divisions, including a record label and an online music store. James is also the manager of his favorite artist, Clayton from Cell Dwellers. Hi, James. Hello. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. James, we're going to, before we talk about Clayton and before we talk about Cell Dwellers, and, you know, I I think this is going to be a big story and there's like a lot of history to it, but we want to learn more about you first. So what would you say is the essence of James in three sentences or less? Oh, in three sentences or less is tough. You're, you're uh, making me think here. But, you know, I am you know, really passionate about music and about the artists that I have followed and been a fan of. And I have been lucky enough to work for my favorite artist and, and build a company together with him. So what exactly is Fixed? So Fixed is a record label with a few offshoots. We've ventured into a few other areas. We do a lot of film and TV music licensing. So we get a lot of our record label material into movie trailers, TV shows, video games. That's been a big cornerstone of our growth over the years. And we we kind of do everything ourselves. We're very DIY. We have a Warehouse, which I'm in right now, a 3,200 square foot warehouse full of inventory and merchandise. And, you know, we do all of our own online e-commerce and, you know, running our own store, shipping it, doing all the customer service. And we've, we've been around for about 10 years. So it started in 2006 and we've grown from just two of us, Clayton and I, to begin with, to, you know, about a dozen people in the company. So we're a small company, but we, you know, we have fans in you know, 70, 80 countries around the world. What is your role in everything? So I'm a bit of a jack of all trades, I suppose, in that I wear many different hats throughout each day. So I you know, originally co-found the company with Clayton, who is the owner, and he has his artist project, Cell Dweller. But then as we grew, I went from being the first and only employee to managing the company. And as we hired new employees, I've had to push myself to grow, to learn business, marketing, social media, you know, e-commerce, a little bit of everything and just grow with the company so that I could be managing over it all. And, you know, so I'll be working on social media or marketing campaigns one day and then meeting with our graphic designers and going over merchandise designs to you know our, our e-commerce platform and pricing strategies, all of our communication newsletters. So I, I jump around to each area, including you know now we have a, a human resources accounting manager 
but you know, as we've grown, we've we've gone from you know not having any policies to being at the size of a company with you know a dozen employees or so, where you know we've got an employee manual and we've had to you know create policies and and just kind of make sure that the company is on track. Mm-hmm. And then, so what do you like say take this week so far? What kind of things have you found yourself working on? Well, this week, actually, this week has been. Uh, kind of a, a challenging week in that we are uh, doing interviews and in, in, in the hiring process for a couple of positions we've uh, been looking to fill. So we uh, were hiring for a video editor. And so we've, man, we've gone through, you know, a couple hundred applications for a video person and uh, also kind of analyzing some of our graphic needs and, uh, and have, a position to to try and fill for a graphic designer as well. So, you know, hiring and uh, and going through resumes has been full on my agenda this week, as well as just some company planning, kind of looking at uh, the rest of the year and strategizing our release schedule. Uh, we've got about a dozen artists on the label as well, in addition to you know our employees. And so, with the record label, we've got. Lots of different people to coordinate their schedules and that all of their marketing and releases are coming out with a dedicated focus without overlapping too much on each other. So they each kind of get their moment to shine. Mm-hmm. How do you stay like, how do you not go insane when you have that much stuff to do? And <laughs> the reason I ask is because I run my own agency as well and will be doing a lot of different things. And it sounds like you easily have like I don't know, 10 times more things that I'm doing. And there's days that I feel like I'm going nuts. How are you not going nuts? It's definitely challenging. You know, I've been, I'm a lifelong student. And so I'm always looking to optimize, you know, everything I do. So, you know, from different productivity strategies to automating software things, having a really good project management system. We use a platform called Teamwork where we centralize, you know, all the projects, all the people working on them so we can really see what is going on across the whole company and keep track of it, uh, as well as lots of, you know, tools, other software. You know, I'm a Mac guy, so, uh, you know, very Apple-focused on uh, and using all the tools that, that I can play with, you know, on a, on a Mac. Yeah, outside of just optimizing you know, how much I can handle, you know, definitely relying on our team and, you know, uh, delegating is, is always a challenge because I've, I've been so used to doing pretty much everything myself at one point or another before we hired somebody else to come on board. So, you know, delegation is still a challenge to let go of certain things. But uh, yeah, the only way we've been able to continue growing is by finding the right new people to join the team and then setting them up. To, to take on new tasks. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And then to backtrack a little bit, what were you doing before Fixed? So prior to Fixed, you know, going back you know, a few years before Fixed started, I was finishing college and working a full-time job at a local hospital and had been following my favorite artist who had a project in the late 90s called Circle of Dust, which was the same artist, Clayton, who now does Cell Dweller. And he had just announced beginning the new project, Cell Dweller, and they were looking for people to join their street team. And so I volunteered 
and got involved on the street team and thought, man, I really just want to help him out. I'm really passionate about his music and I'm interested in music business or in, in music. So I found a recording school and thought maybe I would go to recording school, become an engineer or a mixer. So I went and did that for a few months, got a certification as an audio engineer, but then never really got involved with the, the studio side and ended up getting more involved on the business side. And when he was kind of looking for somebody to help him out a little more, I just kept volunteering for more opportunities. And he'd give me a little bit of responsibility, and then I'd ask for more, and eventually I convinced him to hire me. And so while over a course of a couple of years, you know, I was just working a, a day job at, a, at this hospital and pursuing my passion and, and trying to help him. And, you know, initially I just volunteered and, but turned it into a paying gig. And then when he, the more he gave me, I just ran with it and, and, you know, really maximized every opportunity that he gave me up to the point where his manager at the time in Los Angeles was like, man, this kid in Iowa is doing as much as we are in LA and he's just sitting in his bedroom. So they offered me a job to move out to Los Angeles and uh, I took a job at the management company went out there, only stayed there for about a year, but picked up a lot more of the industry experience, music marketing, management, film, TV licensing, but then decided that LA wasn't for me and my wife. And we you know, came from a small town in Iowa and LA was just not the right fit for us. So we moved back after a year and I knew I wanted to continue working with Clayton, but didn't really know what to do. So I got my job back at the hospital and we just started brainstorming and we realized that all the things we were doing for Cell Dweller, we had set up, you know, email marketing and running a store just for him and all the services he needed as an artist were like, well, we could scale these and start a record label and do these services for more artists. So in 2006, we started Fixed and for the first couple of years, it was just the two of us and then probably since about 2009, 2010, we've been adding employees and, and continuing to grow. So the music industry changes tremendously over time. How did you know that creating an online store was the next logical thing to do, like a proper store? That's well, the one that you guys run right now on the, on the website. Yeah. So going back to Clay's experience with, in the 90s, he had a project called Circle of Dust, and he had a really bad record deal with the label that he was working with and got screwed over, never saw any money from the label. But the way he made money was when he would tour, he would have his merchandise at shows. And that was like the one revenue stream, well, outside of touring directly. But when he was at shows, the extra revenue stream he could count on was selling merchandise. So when I first got involved with him, he had a really old online system where it was like, you know, send in your order form and allow six to eight weeks for your merchandise to arrive. And people would submit their credit card. And, you know, he had like a terminal. He had to key in the credit card info, was hooked up to a modem, and it would dial out. And that's what he handed me when we started was, here is my merchandise system. It was the first thing that he paid me to do was to run his merch. And, you know, there was probably 20 steps that were involved from getting an order in 
to processing it, packaging it, shipping it, getting a label on the package. It was really complicated and, and really archaic. And I moved it, you know, I didn't know anything about online platforms or, or e-commerce, but I was so passionate about the content that I just went and, and applied myself to figure it out. And, you know, we got his delivery times from six to eight weeks down to, you know, everything shipped within, you know, a business day and we were shipping internationally and we had automated credit card processing. And so we've been continually refining that and we've moved platforms uh, a few different times over the last decade up until about a year ago, we moved to Shopify and, you know, we're just blown away by the the ease of use and the powerful uh, platform that Shopify has. And so we're continuing to use that and using, you know, apps like uh, ShipStation, integrating with Shopify and Receiptful, you know, for all of our, uh, you know, cart abandonment emails and our receipt follow-ups. You know, those have just been awesome features that some of the platforms we were on before didn't have. So you, you mentioned, I want to take you back in, a, in a, what you just said right now. You mentioned that when he handed all this to you, you actually didn't know much about it and you kind of taught yourself, correct? Yeah, yeah so, completely. So can you tell our listeners what are like some of your favorite resources to learn these skills? Like, Where did you go to teach yourself how to do this? I don't know that the answer is is a very glorious answer, but it was a lot of trial and error and, and online research and you know, I think at one point I did demos of like 20 different e-commerce platforms and, you know, sign up for a lot of them offer free demos. So really getting in and understanding what's unique about that platform, reading their, uh, you know, their knowledge base articles. There's tons of, of sites that have reviews of different platforms. So, yeah, there wasn't any clear path before me. Mm-hmm. I just really dug in found, you know, what tools we needed. I knew we needed to automate our credit card processing. And so I did a bunch of research on that. And, you know, PayPal was one of our our really good payment processors for a long time. Now in Shopify, we still accept PayPal, but we have uh, Shopify payments as well. But something interesting that I've really learned about just all the e-commerce tools, whether it's your payment processor, your shipping services is, you know, as you scale, you can, you can find more margin and discounts for the services you use. So one of the things that, you know, we've been really aggressive on is, you know, at one point we were doing enough volume through PayPal that we're able to negotiate a lower transactional rate, which, you know, put more of each transaction in our pocket and, you know, shipping services, Uh, A lot of research just in the last year and a half has gone into getting, with the volume that we've been able to generate and how much we ship, we've been able to go to the, you know, the U.S. Postal Service and get tiered discounts on our postal rates through them, as well as our, one of the biggest areas that we've seen savings in is international shipping. Instead of shipping directly, you know, first class mail through the postal service, you know, we're using a service called IMEX and... So we, we kind of consolidate our international shipments through them, and we're seeing savings of anywhere from 20 to 70% off of what we were paying direct through the Postal Service. So you know, we, could, we lowered our rates for our customers, plus we're making more profit margin you know, directly on our, our side. So 
you know, my advice would be just whatever tools you're using, you know, if you're starting to get any volume or scale, there could be discounts that you could find that really empower, you know, you as a store owner, you know, to keep more profit on your side. When you're doing your initial research, what made you decide on a self-hosted platform like a uh, like you said a Shopify for example? It sounds like that came a little bit later, but doing it that way versus using an already established platform in order to sell the music and merch. Uh, you mean such as like a third party? Yeah, company? yeah, yeah, where you're like wa- walking through somebody else's that's already existing. I mean, especially with the fact that you didn't know a lot in the very beginning. Well, yeah, at the very beginning we were doing it on our own and we were probably so small at that point that I think any, any major, you know, fulfillment centers or, or online partners probably wouldn't have been interested or the margins they would have offered us wouldn't have made sense. So it made more sense just to run it ourselves. But also one of the biggest assets I think that we've had is building a direct relationship with our customers instead of going through a third party and being a step removed from our customers, we care about our products. So when we're sending a packing slip, you know, we'll say thanks and, and you know, handwritten thank you on their packing slip. And some of our best customers, you know, we, we've over the years, we've really come to know on a first name basis where, you know, we've seen their orders come in, they see our posts on Facebook, they're interacting and, and just Owning that direct customer relationship has been so valuable for us and created that loyalty. And yeah, so outsourcing that through another partner just hasn't ever made sense for us. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure that at certain scales and, and certain industries that, you know, that's very appropriate, but we're a little more niche and, but being very hands-on and, and our care, seeing it from A to Z has been uh, really valuable. And so, I mean, okay, to, to continue with that then, Fixed offers a, a huge selection of items from a variety of artists. Now, on one hand, you are in a niche or niche in that sense of kind of having this little space in the music world. But on the other hand, you still have a pretty diverse catalog of stuff. How do you stay organized? Yeah, we do. We have a fair amount, you know, we, we that we've scaled to. We expanded a little too wide, actually, for a while, where, you know, we have our roster of artists, and we continued that thought at one point saying, well, we can still scale these systems beyond our own artists. So we went and we found other artists, other labels that may be similar, or that their fans might also be interested in our products and vice versa. And at one point, we had scaled up to having, you know, hundreds of other clients carrying their merch and their music in our store. And we really scaled up. And, you know, at one point, we had, you know, labeled ourselves as the world's biggest EDM merch store. We were carrying more electronic dance music merchandise than, than any other online store in a single place. And that, that kind of came and went. But that was an area that it worked for a while and then the industry changed and a lot of other stores started carrying more of that. And, and we didn't have so much of an exclusive on a lot of that content. And so we've strategically scaled it back down to just our artists over the last year or so actually. And so we're trying to focus more on quality than quantity. And, uh, you know, we still have a fair amount of content, but it's, 
you know, we, we have a, a sound of the label. We, we do electronic hybrid music with rock. So kind of a fusion of electronic and rock music. And so all of our artists on the label kind of fits somewhere in the spectrum of, of, of a fusion of those genres together. And, and so there's a, a nice crossover so that, you know, anybody that's interested in that kind of music could come and really any of our artists might appeal to them. Can you revisit then one more time? Um, you don't have to go into great detail, but like, what are your primary revenue streams then? So we can kind of get a scope of where the money's coming sure. in from. Sure. So, you know, we've had to be pretty forward thinking and aggressive as a small company, especially in the music industry where things are changing constantly. And there's a lot of doomsday talk about, you know, the, the music industry shrinking and sales are down and so we've we've had to be pretty strategic in, and forward thinking in trying to be a step ahead. So we continue to sell music through our own store as well as through you know iTunes and you know Google, all the other stores out there. And but we've also been really aggressive with where that industry is heading. And streaming has been such a big. It had, has made such a big impact on the industry, and there's a lot of people complaining about music streaming, but it's actually served us really well. And so we've encouraged our fans to you know, listen to us on Spotify or Apple Music and, and some of the streaming services. So we've actually seen just in the last year a switch happen where streaming is now our number one revenue for m- music over sales. So we've got enough people continually streaming us that it's just, it's actually becoming a really good revenue stream, but we've never depended on any single revenue stream. So we have music sales, we have streaming, we also have the merchandise side. So what people can't pirate, you know, by just downloading the music legally or what they can't do by just streaming it for free somewhere, you know, if we can create a strong enough reaction in the fans that, they really want to support that artist. You know, we have T-shirts and posters, stickers, you know, other accessories, and that's something that they can't just uh, you know download online. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that gives us something tangible that they need to come exclusively to us for to get. Uh, so that's the majority of what we sell on our online store are those you know collectible items that they can't get anywhere else. And then you uh, also, I, I'm going to jump in real quick. You mentioned like the licensing type stuff too. Yes. So that is another big area of our revenue is we've been, you know, very lucky and it's been a very fortuitous relationship with a publishing partner, actually the same company that I went and worked for as a management company in LA years ago is our long-term strategic partner in Los Angeles and they specialize in film and TV licensing. So we have made a very focused goal that any of the music we bring in, we secure the correct rights and our agreements with the artists that we can take those for licensing and worldwide go out and uh, you know have the publishing rights to to properly go after those opportunities. And we've been you know fairly successful with that. Where as a label, we've had somewhere over a thousand different film, TV, or game placements all from all around the world. Yeah, that's impressive. So with all that diversity, then do you consider yourself having a single target audience? That is, the, that, that is kind of the, 
the million dollar question, right? <laughs> we have a few of our artists, specifically Cell Dweller, you know, ha has been around the longest, has really developed a, a diehard cult following. And then we have tried to, to make sure that each of the artists we bring in, you know, at least have a, a kind of a pivot point of interest to what our, our label sound is. So, you know, we try to push new ground, maybe go a little bit more in one direction, but still have it be relatable to kind of the core sound of the label. But because we're a hybrid electronic and rock, sometimes the music is too rock for the electronic music side of, of the fans, or it's too electronic for the rock fans. So there is definitely a, a, a special intersection of where people really get it and love it, and then there's, there's almost nowhere else to get this particular sound, um, and very few people do this sound well. So we've tried to kind of specialize in what we do so that, you know, as far as this type of sound, you know, we're one of the top few in the world. Mm -hmm. So I guess with that in mind, the kind of what I wanted to get to then, you have a unique situation. What kind of um, pointers could you give our audience in terms of figuring out your target audience and just attracting them and reaching them? Sure. I think that... You know, listening to your audience and what they're, uh, you know, what they want, and that could be in terms of, you know, how are they voting with their dollars? What when you put something out, are they responding to it and, and actually paying attention to that? Paying attention to your analytics on what is moving, what isn't, and it could also be, you know, they could be responding via social engagement. What is what's getting the biggest reaction on social media. But I think there, it definitely involves a lot of experimentation and, you know, a willingness that you may fail and put something out that not everybody gets, but by putting it out into the world and seeing what gets that reaction, you know, I think that's, that's the most definitive way, but, but also, you know, just researching what other people are doing that are maybe in a similar industry that, that you're trying to get into. So it sounds like you have the perfect business for upselling and cross-selling, whether it be you know uh, other artists or other products and stuff like that. So what advice do you have to other business owners who want to better use upsells and cross-sales? Yeah, that's a good question as well. We have had a lot of experimentation in this. Prior to being in Shopify, the platform we were on did not easily... Uh, automate that. So we can you share what platform you were on? I don't want to just yeah, throw them under the bus, but it's good for other <laughs> good other for people to know. Yeah. Sure. We were on a platform called One Shopping Cart, and uh, oh, I'm sorry. You no, know that was two platforms ago. That was we were on One Shopping Cart about ten years ago, and then probably about eight years ago, we switched to a, a platform called Modular Merchant. And yeah, I kind of blocked that out of my memory because in the end, we didn't have a very good experience there. But we finally found Shopify and, and we're extremely happy there. But in, uh, yeah, so in our previous platform, which was Modular Merchant, it was, uh, there weren't all the apps to just, you know, simply install and expand your abilities. If we had to do a lot of custom coding, so we had, uh, you know, a full time, on staff developer to basically extend the abilities of the platform and 
we weren't able to automate the upsells and the cross-sells directly. So what, how we did it back then was in a more one-on-one curated way in that you know we would prepare weekly email newsletters and you know just try to anticipate that you know if you guys like this stuff here's some other recommendations you might like and we would try to curate that and we would see some you know some definite cross sells there where people would would pick up on that but really that's opened way up in Shopify with with you know so many new tools and applications that you can use in Shopify one of the biggest improvements we've seen since getting in Shopify is actually the, uh, I might get the name wrong, but uh, there's like a recommendation widget built out of Receiptful that we have on our cart page. And we get a ton of people checking out a little strip of, of recommended products based on you know what's in their cart and, and considering to add those to their cart. And then there's some other really good apps. There's a, uh, an app by Bold Software. They have an upsell app. So, you know, we've, again, kind of set up some rules or curated different content that based on what they're adding to their cart, we can show them something related or, or another artist that they might be interested in. And we've seen some good, uh, good results from that. And then another receiptful feature, of course, being uh, the, the upsells in the receipt emails. And We've seen some great conversions there as well. And the, the more automated those are where uh, we can just set those up and let them run, obviously, it's a, a great return on, on the time investment. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like the reason why the older platform before Shopify didn't work for you because there just wasn't as many, I don't want to say features, but like apps and you had to use your own in-house development, correct? Correct. And... It was a, uh, there was a number of growing concerns with that system. They, we were on a version that at the time had let us self-host. So it was their software running on our own private server. And then they came up with a new version. And after we were already years in development of running the software on our server, and they had told us they would let us upgrade to the new version, when the new version actually came out, they changed their minds and said, well, we won't let you run this on your server. And the plans that they offered us to run it on their servers were like, you know, twice as expensive and didn't have all the features that the, of some of the features we needed from the old version. So we were basically locked into an old version and trying to develop on it. And it was a closed system where some of the code we couldn't change and, you know, say PayPal would update an API to uh, for for payments to go into PayPal, and then they weren't updating that on our side, so our payments you know stopped working. So we had to we knew we had to get off that platform. We had looked at a plat- Magento, and we're considering you know having again kind of a, a full time in house development team just to run Magento on our own servers. But after really looking at all the the solutions that Shopify had, we we were able to actually cut our our e-commerce overhead uh, pretty significantly over what it was previously, and get a ton of new features. So, 
So I've also noticed listening to some of the, I listened to an interview with Clayton, I forget which one it was in particular, but you guys have some interesting release models and kind of sales tactics where the one that he mentioned was kind of like dripping out the album. So a few tracks would leak at a time, maybe drop in some additional never heard before content, and then finally actually release the album. What are some of your guys' favorite methods that you've played with and tried so far? That is, uh, that is exactly correct. We have uh, kind of a strategy that we've implemented and experimented with that we call chapters. So, you know, it's like we work on an album, we have an album done, and if we release it all at once, you've got one big push and then it's kind of, you know, you, you had your moment to shine and then it settles down. And so... Uh, that factored also with sometimes, you know, most of our artists are solo artists. So actually creating the albums is a lot longer of a process than just a band going into the studio for a couple of days and, and recording it all. You know, they're doing all the parts and building it all step by step themselves. So fans have you know, got a little anxious in the past where it's taking, you know, two or three years between album cycles to get the next album. So to keep consistent activity, uh, fan engagement, and also just kind of extending the, the lifetime, the life cycle of the album. What we've done is take a couple of tracks, maybe a few bonus tracks or a remix to, to compile with it, release it. And then a couple of months later, release the next couple of tracks. And then a couple of months later and the next few, so we've tried that with, you know, releasing three or four chapters with about two, two to three songs each. And then at the end, releasing all of those that were already released along with four, five, six new ones that are unreleased to complete the album experience. And it kind of gives fans a journey to go along with you and just keep them engaged. But something we've also been able to uh, kind of capitalize on with, uh, with having multiple release cycles from an album is each chapter, not only are we offering new music, but new custom pieces of merch. So here's a new t-shirt with, you know, even though it's only a couple of songs and, you know, a couple of accessories. And then a couple months later, here's another piece of merch. So again, instead of kind of getting one shot at putting it out and it being done, you know, we've been able to extend it to, you know, four or five different releases and and just really maximize the you know the length of time that we can continue talking about that album. Yeah. No, I love that. And then the the reason I bring that one up too is cuz I think there's a lot you can learn cross industry cuz it reminds me of something like if you're an author leaking out a couple chapters in order to get like literal chapters um, in order to get use of the book or you take even something more obscure like board games or something and you have like different expansions for games or even promos that you run at different conventions and that type of thing. And so I think there's a lot to be said in specifically that a continuous communication like you mentioned absolutely i think that uh you know it's something that we've experimented with we've had some really good successes and then you know i think it's even something that we may need to uh to to circle back to and that we've deviated from on, in a few releases as well and then you know ironically when if those haven't done as well 
then it's like, oh yeah, we we need to get back to the strategies that work. So again, you know, I was going to say, I didn't even think about that. It's almost too like a vetting process. Like you could see how the crowd is responding to specific tracks and maybe they're not as favorable. And so I guess there's that, that balance still between like the creative and the passion versus like, this is a business. Will this actually sell? And so you're able to vet vet the product before you just release an entire album. Absolutely. to, To go with that. I think there's also a process of, especially with a new artist that we're developing is if we just put out a whole new album day one from a brand new artist, people are a little more skeptical. It's like, well, I don't know if I like this artist yet, you know, $10 for an album or buying a t-shirt. I'm not, they're not invested in that artist yet. But if over three, six, nine months, you know, they've gotten a a song here, a song there, they've kind of developed some, some affinity for that artist where like, Oh, you know what? Yeah, I'll buy a shirt now. So you kind of build them up into the point over a longer period of time of being ready to buy some of that merchandise and, and kind of set it up for success. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like the, uh, the music industry has its own sales patterns, but you, would you say that you guys are also affected by traditional sales cycles like Black Friday and Christmas and, and all these? You know? Absolutely. We... We definitely have uh, our biggest weekend of the year every single year for at least you know the last four or five years has been the, the Black Friday Cyber Monday weekend. So consumers are so psychologically prepared to spend money online because industry wide, you know, everybody is just expecting oh there's going to be big sales and i'm going to be ready to spend money you know maybe get some early christmas presents for people so everybody's got their wallets ready it seems like and so we always make a a big promotion and it's always one of our biggest events of the year because we could even run the exact same amount of sales and aggressive sales at a random time in the year which we've experimented with Mm -hmm. and it will be way, way less effective because the rest of the world isn't already anticipating to like be going online and looking for deals and ready to spend. So, so riding that wave with the industry is definitely, definitely wise in my opinion. And, you know, Christmas sales, um, other holidays. Yeah. There's, you know, back to school promotions, you know, there's a number of things like that, that, when everybody out in the world is primed and ready already, you know, definitely take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. So we've been talking a lot about the business side of things, but music very often is a lot about the creative. How do you stay balanced between running a successful business, but also staying true to the music? I'd say that there is a challenge in, in, in keeping those two in check with each other. And we have certainly made some missteps and mistakes where we've been more excited about a piece of content, a new artist or, you know, a specific song because creatively we love it. And then we put it out to the public and they don't react the same way. You know, there's various factors that could have gone into that of of why they didn't latch onto it. So, we are definitely trying to be more aware of, yeah, keeping the business side in check because we could we could easily go, you know, spend every dollar in the bank on stuff that uh, that we might internally be like, yeah, this is cool, 
But if, if as a business, it's not seeing a return, then, uh, you know, we could easily go out of business. So we have to be very in tune with our audience, see what they're reacting to. And yeah, I think maybe not to completely contradict everything I just said, but we're, we're passionate about what we do. So, you know, a lot of times what we do want for ourselves is going to resonate with our audience because we're, we're in congruency with our audience. You know, we've kind of built this, this, again, this niche and that's what we're into and that's what our audience is into. But sometimes we try to push the envelope and go a little bit further in a different direction. And, uh, and sometimes that has backfired on us. So yeah, as much as we always want to grow, sometimes new directions aren't the right choice. It's really clear that you love your product. What advantages and benefits do you see or have you seen from loving the product that you sell? I mean, I think just being able to to feel completely authentic about what it is that we create. And so when we're going out and we're trying to market it and sell it, there's never a, a sense of, Oh yeah, you know, I'm trying to get somebody else to buy this, but I would never buy it. Like, you know, it's it's not uh it's not sleazy sales tactics trying to convince somebody of something that is as a subpar product. So, because we believe in it completely and wholeheartedly, it's it's just so natural and authentic for us to want to share that. And I think the public and our fans they can sense that. They know that we're passionate about it and again, back to our direct communication with our artists or with our fans, they sense that authenticity. What about any pitfalls? <laughs> Certain things can be a double-edged sword. I'd say kind of like what we were talking about a minute ago, there, we could run the risk of drinking our own Kool-Aid, so to speak, where, oh yeah, we, we completely think this new thing is amazing and and we're put, trying to push a little bit of a new direction and we get it and, and we're super passionate about it. And then it, you know, it falls flat on its face and, and everybody else is like, yeah, that they didn't see the correlation that we saw. So, yeah, we have to keep our, our, our passion and, and excitement about it in check with with reality. Thank you so much for your time, James. This was really enjoyable. Where can our audience learn more about you and the business? Yeah, so you can find more about Fixed at fixedonline.com where we're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, slash Fixed Music. That's F-I-X-T, right? F-I-X-T. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that we're online at any of those locations and uh, looking forward to hearing from some new people. Cool. Thank you so much. Thank you. One Stop Shop is a production of Receiptful. Learn how to personalize and tailor every interaction with your customer by visiting Receiptful.com. This podcast was produced in partnership with Come Alive Creative. For help building, improving, and marketing your e-commerce store, visit ComeAliveCreative.com. To listen to more episodes from this series, you can visit Receiptful.com forward slash podcast. Or if you want to give us a rating on iTunes, Receiptful.com forward slash iTunes.